0: This is a squeeze podcast. We're your shortcut to being informed.
1: This week, our podcast is brought to you by BHP. Reducing greenhouse gas emissions in the production of iron ore and copper is critical. That's why BHP has committed to solar, wind and battery agreements at mine sites across Australia. It's happening now at BHP. Visit bhp.com/critical to find out more.)
0: Islands is poised to sign a controversial security deal with China, which would up China's military presence in our region, putting them less than 2,000 kilometres from Australia. It's fair to say our government isn't too thrilled about it. So in this Squish shortcut, we'll get to know about our Pacific Island neighbour, go through their recent troubles and talk about where China fits into it all. Squish Shortcuts is the backstory to the big news stories. I'm Eliza Harvey. And I'm Claire Kimball. Claire, let's start with some basic information about the Solomon Islands. It's a big group of islands called an archipelago, with more than 1,000 islands broken up into nine main island groups. It's situated in the southwest Pacific Ocean.
1: Yep. So if you're looking at a map, the Solomons are northeast of Queensland. The capital, Honiara, is located on Guadalcanal, which is the largest island. The country has a population of about 720,000 people. Uh, About 95% of the community is Melanesian, but there's also Polynesian, Micronesian, European and Chinese ethnic communities as well. Uh, English is the official language, but the local Solomon's pigeon is what most people speak.
0: And those different ethnic groups become important as we discuss the recent unrest in the country. So we're just going to flag that with you now. But Claire, as far as Europeans finding their way there, that first happened in the 16th century. It was
1: 1568 when Spanish explorer Alvaro de Madonna uh, visited the region in search of gold and other minerals. They didn't linger there very long because their ships were in bad shape. Uh, He was the person, though, who named them the Solomon Islands after the Bible story about King Solomon's fabled gold mines. Uh, And there's a fair bit of gold in the Solomons, but that wasn't found until many years later.
0: It took a long time before other European explorers made it to Guadalcanal. The Germans had a foothold there for a while, but by 1899, the
1: British took control of the islands. That's right, and colonial rule wasn't a particularly pleasant experience for the local people. Many young, fit men were forced to work on plantations or sent to Australia for manual labour. And by the 1920s and 30s, the ethnic makeup of the country was changing as many Chinese came to settle. They displaced European traders and plantation owners.
0: The outbreak of World War II in the Pacific was a very important time for the Solomons. Immediately following the Japanese attack on America at Pearl Harbour in 1941, it advanced into the southwestern Pacific and into the Solomons with
1: little allied resistance. The Japanese presence threatened to cut communications and shipping between Australia and the US. That would isolate and expose Australia to a Japanese invasion. So the Americans chose the Solomons Island of Guadalcanal uh, for its first big counterpunch against the Japanese. That was in August 1942. And over the next six months, there were fierce battles on land and sea. Eventually, the Allied victory in Guadalcanal proved to be one of the main turning points of the war and it was the beginning of the end for the Japanese in the southwest Pacific. After the war, a nationalist
0: movement sprung up and the country became independent of colonial rule in 1978. But it wasn't smooth sailing as violent clashes sprung up between the different ethnic groups who were vying for power. Let's get into that next. One of the things many Australians do know about the Solomon Islands is that there was a situation there that required Australia's help. But the details are important to understanding what's happening now. So let's get into that. Tensions between the central government in Honiara and the most populous state of Malaita had been simmering away over the decades since the end of colonial rule. But things reached a boiling point in December
1: 1998. Yeah, they did. The Guals, so the people from the island of Guadalcanal, resented the influence of settlers from other islands and their occupation of undeveloped land in and around Honiara. The settlers, who were mostly from Malaita, uh, were drawn to the capital by comparatively greater economic opportunities. And Gual militants began a campaign of
0: intimidation and violence towards the settlers, Claire.
1: Yeah. And this period in the late 1990s is referred to as the tensions. It's estimated that 200 people were killed, hundreds more were beaten and tortured, and up to 20,000 settlers were forced out of Honiara and back to Malaita. At the same time, the settlers formed their own military unit. Uh, as these two groups fought each other, the government struggled to keep the peace things got so bad that the government turned
0: to Australia and New Zealand for help, but they were nervous about getting involved in a domestic dispute, so they said no. But in the following years, the violence really escalated in the Solomons.
1: Yeah, and Prime Minister Bartholomew ulafa was kidnapped by the Malaysians, uh, who felt that he wasn't doing a good enough job in protecting them. He had to resign to secure his release. And the then opposition leader and the current Prime Minister, Manasseh Sogavare, was elevated to power. New elections were held, and the situation improved slightly until widespread civil unrest broke out again in 2002. This
0: time when the Solomons asked for help, we came to their aid. This led to the creation of RAMSEY in July 2003. That's the regional assistance mission to the Solomon
1: Islands and that was led by Australia and New Zealand. It was set up through the Pacific Island Forum, which promotes cooperation between countries in the region. Soldiers, police and other civilian workers from across the Pacific began to arrive to build up a permanent force of just over 2,000. And over the 10 years of the Ramsey mission, there were 7,270 Aussie troops who were deployed to the Solomons, as well as 1,700 police. From Australia's perspective, the reason to invest so much in it was that then Prime Minister John Howard believed that a failed Solomon Islands would pose a significant risk to the whole region and it could become vulnerable as a safe haven for transnational criminals and for terrorists.
0: The mission got to work and made some early victories in bringing the violence under control by arresting the most wanted criminals and getting the guns out of the community. And that was an important way of establishing the legitimacy
1: of the mission within the community. And when John Howard visited months later, he was feted by hundreds of kids waving Aussie flags. Over the years, commentators have said that important changes were made to the country's economic structures and civil society. And by 2013, Ramsey was considered a big success and our troops were pulled out with the mission transitioning to a police assistance only mission.
0: Australia ended up spending about $2.6 billion on the mission over the decade. And while Ramsey was widely regarded as being a successful mission, as you mentioned, a rocky relationship with Sogavare developed. Before
1: we move on, Claire, let's unpack why that relationship was uneasy over the years. He was a staunch critic of Ramsey initially. He argued uh, that it undermined the Solomon sovereignty. Uh, in 2006, during his second term as Prime Minister, he expelled the Australian High Commissioner and accused him of interfering in the domestic politics of the Solomons. Australia was also trying to extradite the nation's Attorney-General, a guy called Julian Motti. That was over child sex abuse charges in Australia, and Sogavare was very resistant to that.
0: At one point, Sogavare threatened to expel the Ramsey peacekeepers, and a week later, they actually raided his office, kicking in a door and seizing a fax machine in their efforts to get more evidence on Julian Motti. It was a very tense period. But Claire, in recent years, things appeared to have improved between Australia and Sogavare.
1: Yeah, and in fact, he came here in 2017. He signed a security treaty with then Prime Minister Malcolm Turnbull. And Turnbull used that opportunity to praise the Solomons and it looked like things had largely been smoothed over. And in recent times,
0: the Solomons has also got close to China. Let's get into that next.
1: So we're working with BHP again on Weekly Wrap this week because they're keen to share with Squizzes how the resources they mine are key for our economy's shift to renewable energy. Yeah, so we often hear about the push towards renewable energy, but what doesn't get as much attention is the role that mining companies are playing in making that transition possible. Take steel, for instance. It's a key material used in the construction of renewable energy infrastructure, as well as bridges and transportation, hospitals and schools, and a big part of it comes from iron ore. That iron ore mainly hails from Western Australia, and BHP says the importance of responsibly produced Western Australian iron iron ore is clear. Yeah, and by that, they mean reducing the greenhouse gas emissions associated with iron ore production. That's why BHP has committed to a solar and battery agreement to help power their port facilities at Port Hedland. It's happening now at BHP, and if you want to learn more, visit bhp.com forward slash critical. You'll find that link in your episode notes.
0: When Sogavare was in Australia for that catch up with Malcolm Turnbull, he made it clear that the ethnic tensions that blew up in the late 90s and early 2000s were still present, but under control. But in November last year, they came to the fore again when a peaceful protest that began outside the Solomons Parliament, mostly involving people
1: from the Malaita province, blew up. They were demanding the resignation of Sogavare, uh, but that peaceful protest soon turned ugly. Parliament buildings were set alight. Chinese businesses in Honiara were ransacked and looted and there was violence on the streets of the capital. Sogavare called a 36-hour lockdown at the capital, saying that he wouldn't accommodate those troublemakers. He also reached out
0: to Scott Morrison to trigger that security pact that had been signed in 2017 and Australia got on board, sending army officers and police to Honiara to boost security.
1: At the time, Scott Morrison said, and this is the quote, "...it is not the Australian government's intention in any way to intervene in the internal affairs of the Solomons. That is for them to resolve."
0: And as this was happening, more details emerged about what sparked the riots. On the surface, there was dissatisfaction over things like unemployment and the breakdown of government services. But there was another dimension there, Claire, a dispute between China and Taiwan that's been playing out in the
1: Pacific for years. The Solomon Islands had previously had diplomatic ties with Taiwan. Taiwan fiercely guards its independence while China thinks of it as a province and has threatened to use force to reunify. And we've got a whole shortcut on that.
0: So how it applies back to the Solomons. In September 2019, Sogavare announced that he'd established formal diplomatic ties with China. As part of that deal, China would give the cash-strapped country $730 million worth of financial aid.
1: Yeah, that's a reference to that Belt and Road project that China operates, and it does work to bring countries like the Solomons closer to it through funding. Taiwan was reportedly furious, and it terminated its relationship with the Solomons after 36 years. However, the province of Malaita decided to go its own way with Taiwan. Its premier, Daniel Sudani, has been an outspoken critic of Sogavare's move to align with China. and other opposition politicians across the Solomons agree, and they cite China's poor human rights record. They have concerns about the debt trap that all of that money could bring. And what does China want in return, they ask?
0: And then a couple of weeks ago, a draft government document emerged on social media, laying out a framework that would permit Beijing to deploy forces to protect the safety of Chinese personnel and major
1: projects in the Solomon Islands. It would facilitate China's police and military assisting local law enforcement agencies, as well as allowing Chinese warships to stop over and refuel during naval exercises. Essentially, it puts China's military in our neighbourhood. And that document was later verified and Sogavare has confirmed that he's poised to sign it.
0: And Claire, this is a huge development. Lieutenant General Greg Bilton, Australia's Chief of Joint Operations, said that it changes the calculus if Chinese Navy vessels are operating from the Solomons. And the concern is that China will build a permanent base there or at least have a permanent military presence in the southwest Pacific.
1: Sogavare denies that China will set up a base. He says that he won't allow that. And in a fiery speech to Parliament, he said that it was right for a nation like his to diversify its diplomatic relationships and said, uh, we find it very insulting to be branded as unfit to manage our sovereign affairs. In the days
0: afterwards, Australia made some announcements too. Our top diplomat in the Solomons, Lachlan Strawn, announced that the assistance force deployed late last year would stay until the end of 2023, which is longer than first thought.
1: Yeah, and in the budget, there's $65 million for a new high commission in the Solomons and there was $1.85 billion committed to projects in the Pacific. Uh, What analysts say is that much of that will go to the Solomons.
0: It's a big one for our regional security and one that I'm sure we'll be talking about again, Claire. And that's your shortcut to the Solomon Islands. Now on to recommendations. (music) I'm going to recommend another Squiz podcast, Claire. It's called Squiz the World by our Squiz Kids team. If you want your kids to understand current events and the world around them in a kid-appropriate way, get them to jump into Squiz the World's episode on the Solomons that dropped yesterday morning. It's a great listen.
1: Yes, yeah, Squiz Kids is just the best. Uh, and to get that content, what you need to do is subscribe to Extra Squiz Kids podcast content. You can do that via Apple Podcasts. There's so much good stuff there and it's a bargain at just $6.99 a month, so get on to that. For me, the 80th anniversary at the commencement of the Battle for Guadalcanal is in August this year. It was so pivotal to the outcome of World War Two in our region. So I've got a link to some more information on on that and thanks so much for listening
0: if you like what you've heard please tell people about the podcast and if you have any requests you can send them through to hello at the in the meantime there are plenty more episodes for you to have a listen to so get on to that until next time